developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Thank you to everyone who supports this show and all of the shows on the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. If you're not already, you can become a Major Spoilers member by signing up at patreon.com slash majorspoilers. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, big movie news, the Man of Steel gains a protege, and hello all you shocking future people in the world of 2099. It's a Bendis fest in our review corner. We could talk TV, we could talk video games, comics, or more. Any of it, all of it delivered in the mighty Major Spoilers manner. It's the kind of show that makes you want to tell your friends, clean out the barn, and dust off your banjo, because it's going to be a heck of a show as the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 847 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and checking us out this week. We talked about uh, little puppy dogs, and we talked about uh, uh, Matthew's uh, uh, personal data when it comes to Apple. You can find all of that in the Major Spoilers pre-show. But right now, we're going to talk about a lot of uh, other things related to pop culture and comic books. So let's jump into some news. This week in the news, we've got Spider-Man is back. So are the Birds of Prey. And there's a brand new Harley Quinn trailer that you can check out. Let's spin that Wheel of Destiny and see where we land. I have a feeling it's not going to be Birds of Prey. I don't think anyone's really ready to talk about Harley Quinn. But let's talk about Spider-Man. Marvel and Disney have reached an agreement with uh, Sony Pictures that will allow uh, Spider-Man to appear at least in one more film in the MCU as well as Disney helping out with the next Spider-Man Homecoming sequel. Um, And uh, Disney, in in the way that this is shaken out, this happened last Friday is when it was announced, that uh, Disney will, in exchange for 25% of the box office, the gross receipts, uh, they will also put in uh, 25% into the making of the film. And then Sony gets to do Spider-Man and uh, Disney gets to use Spider-Man. What is everyone's reactions to this? Uh, I'm pretty sure, and I don't know if I actually said it out loud, but I'm pretty sure that this is what I thought was happening all along. When they initially made the announcement, it felt an awful lot like one of those, hey, you guys, we want to make this public so you can all voice your, your hatred. And I don't know who we is or who the hatred was supposed to be aimed at, but I think somebody made this news public with the expectation that fandom could then erupt 
mm-hmm. in the hopes that it would, you know, strengthen whatever negotiating position they had. In the initial um, story, it was that Disney wanted to come in and have at least 50% or more of the Spider-Man franchise. And mm-hmm. Sony was like, no, no, thank you. We can do without this. And it looks like Sony, you know, maybe quote unquote won on this. I mean, Disney of the... blinked. That's, that's what it looks like from the outside anyway. Yeah. That's maybe not good for a mega corporation that's going to be controlling all of our lives in the next couple of years. I mean, right? it's good for us that there's a way to make one of their giant eyeballs blink. True, yeah. true, true, true. Now, I don't want to get into too much rumor territory because we don't do this, but have you heard the reason why the deal went sour the first time? No, I hadn't heard that. So, I Matthew, mean, maybe was you it, remember was it Tom Holland's haircut. Maybe you remember way back in the day when Marvel was going through some some issues back in the late 80s and early 90s, mm. uh, and was it Revlon who bought Marvel, right? Yes. When uh, they came in to told the executives at Revlon that they bought Marvel, it's reported that the ad- executive was like, yes, we've got Superman! Uh. <laughs> and that may not be too far from the story that I'm hearing that happened with this that there was a certain person who didn't know how the contract with Spider-Man at Sony was set up and thought that they were licensing Spider-Man to Sony and not that Sony basically owns Spider-Man forever. Mm, Spider-Man movie licensing at the very least. Yeah, until, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. until so many years lapse where they're not making Spider-Man movies. And right. if you've seen the slate of movies. we've had 900 that, Spider-Man movies. Yeah, so so the, you're, the, you're saying that the rumor is that somebody at the top was like, okay, well, let's Disney, keep making... Yeah, somebody like at the very top at Disney looked at the contract and was like, wait, 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 wait a minute. You're telling me that we got to pay them for Spider-Man? No, no. What I'm saying is someone at the top thought that Sony was licensing Spider-Man from Disney and that Disney basically owned it and could control whatever the negotiations were instead of the other way around. Right. Okay. Mm. And it wasn't until afterwards when the deal went sour that someone pulled this person aside and said, no, 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 no. We need to let uh, somebody else come in and renegotiate this deal. And so Disney ended up getting only the 25%. I mean, that that makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, there are obviously not with something like Spider-Man where there are so many eyes on it, but there are properties out there where people literally don't know who owns the copyright or they <laughs> don't know who owns the license to certain things. You know, where they're like, is this is this property something that could ever come back? We don't know because nobody knows who actually owns it. Yep. Here's here's how I will know. This is such a major flub. If this is true in this story, there's one way we will know if this is a true story or not, is that by the end of the year, or by I'll say in the next six months, this person will no longer be working yep. at Disney slash Marvel Studios. That is, yeah, I, I, that is very likely, yeah. So when, when this person is exited quietly, and it'll be just a little blip on Variety or the Hollywood Reporter or something, when we that happens, well I will say that endeavor. this is this is the person who screwed things up, and this is why they're now out there. But Spider-Man is back. Tom Holland's excited. Zendaya's excited. Looks like uh, Coach, uh, what's his name, is excited. Or the, the actor who plays the, he wasn't the coach, he was the science teacher or whatever. Yeah, well, um, he's their uh, their mathlete coach or whatever. No, no, the, I think he was the coach. I don't remember. Anyway, they're all excited. All their Twitter feeds are all lit up. Everyone is happy now, right? Is everyone happy, Ashley? I mean, the fandom is is happy, I guess. I guess everyone likes baby Iron Man instead of Spider-Man stories. <laughs> so good for them. 
Well, well Amy so Pascal, he's already proven. Yeah, Amy Pascal is back and is going to produce the the third one again. So that's uh, that's going to continue. So she'll bring that with them. And it sounds like they'll be able to tap into some Marvel uh, help as well in getting that third uh, movie going. What were you going to yeah, say, Rodrigo? I, I mean, I'm 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 with Ashley on on this one. I think I think what she's getting at is. I was I was actually kind of I mean to say excited you know when in regards to me it's it's is overstating it but I was very interested in this to see where they would take a Spider-Man yeah. that was divorced from the Marvel Cinematic Universe because Spider-Man is introduced in the latter what middle half of uh um Civil of Civil War then discarded for the rest of Civil War, then his actual movie is actually just him wanting to be like Iron Man, and then his next movie is just him crying over Iron Man. I'm also truly so offended by the fact that in every Spider-Man movie so far, we've met a different man who wants to sleep with Aunt May. And that's her only worth as a character. She doesn't actually have a relationship with Peter. It's only as somebody who can be slept with. Well, something, some, it's a, uh, it's for him to feel protective of her, mm-hmm. right? Very patriarchal MCU. I'm with you on that. But generally speaking, none of these characters, not Aunt May, not Spider Man, not MJ, none of these characters seem to be able to blossom properly because they're literally in the shadow of all this other stuff. When this Sony stuff was starting to click into gear, all of a sudden there are three planned Spider-Man movies. Mm-hmm. You know, that's three more Spider-Man movies that that Marvel had planned. You know, like all of a sudden you can you you if you love Spider-Man, you have so much more Spider-Man con- uh, content to look forward to. And this, although none of that has been backtracked, they're basically just saying Disney's going to jump in on that and and help out. Uh, or or Marvel Studios, well, it's still, it feels like we're right back in there, right back in the kindergarten, you know, and, and then Spider-Man's never going to be allowed to, like, expand to its own franchise. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens next, especially with all the other Spider-Man stuff going on. New Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, the mm-hmm. Web of Spider-Man, the, um, what is it, the uh, women women of the Spider-Verse or whatever teaming up and having a movie, more Venom stuff on the way. Um, the list just goes I mean, on and on and on and on. Sony has already proven that they can make the best Spider-Man movie of all time without Disney anywhere near it because they did it with Spider-Verse. They've right. also proven that they can make a Spider-Man movie um, of questionable quality without Spider-Man in it, and it can be one of the highest grossing movies because they did that <laughs> with Venom. So, like, I don't really know what Sony gets out of working with Marvel, except the people on Twitter are going to shut up and stop telling them to, you know, that they've made a huge mistake. Like, the landscape is so interesting to me. Yeah, that that might be enough to get them to do it. Because when that came down, everybody was mad at Sony. Which is so funny um, because I was truly like, good job, Sony. Stanley's estate was like, good job, Sony. (laughs) Uh, You know, like there were a lot of really interesting people who came out to back Sony. um, And I I know that your average fan who's consuming this is not reading THR or Variety or checking out any of these interviews. Uh, Hopefully they're reading. Did you hear where I condensed that for them? But like Mm -hmm. it was so interesting where the industry was coming down on it versus where the fandom was coming down on it. Yeah, no, this was just a this was a business deal that 
One negotiation failed, and uh, they went back to the table and were able to work it out. So let's see if the next Spider-Man movie, which has a release date now, uh, July of 2021, we will uh, start the clock right now. And uh, when when the clock runs out, we'll see if this is a good movie or not. So uh, check have, back then. I have a prediction for the theory for the uh, the title of the new Spider-Man movie. It's Spider-Man Home for the Holidays. Spider-Man Home Fries. No, it's, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going with Home for the Holidays. That's going to be my... Spider-Man uh, Sweet Home, Alabama. Spider-Man, dear God, can that. we let him be older than 25? Spider-Man Home of the Whopper. Right? I mean, they, they have to get him out of school. So this will be senior year, right? Would this be senior year? Because they didn't go on a senior trip to Europe, did they? So I he's got to graduate. So they have to do that. They, they have to make the whole transition from from uh, high school to college. Spider-Man and then they have to get the lizard involved. wearing the pink dress from Pretty in Pink. <laughs> there you go. All right. We'll see which one of those all play out in the future. Listeners, in the meantime, if you want to uh, share your thoughts on anything that we've talked about in this show, why don't you head over to our Discord server? That's right. We have a Discord server. You can jump into the uh, general channel. And you can talk about general stuff. You can jump into the comic book section and talk comic books. You can jump into the sports ball stuff and talk all about sports ball. Um, and if you're a patron at patreon.com slash major spoilers, there's special channels just for you. You can find the link to the Discord right there in the show notes. We hope to see you over there really soon. Before we jump into reviews, though, Ashley, there's a couple of things going on, especially with your uh, cool uh, science comic book. That is so true. If you are a Kickstarter backer of science, and I know that many of you listen because I know your names and you're amazing, beautiful people, and I love you so very deeply. Uh, Mm -hmm. Science is fulfilling the Kickstarter right now so if you pre-ordered it there all of your amazing rewards are hurtling through space and time towards you and if you uh missed that for whatever reason that's okay you can pre-order science Science. uh, via previews through your local comic shop or on amazon it hits stores everywhere all over the world wednesday december 18th 2019 science elements of dark energy from bedside press by myself and jason Edmund. it's really great and it's got robots in it yeah it so does. if you would uh pick that up i would be very very grateful Thank so you. a lot of people don't know or maybe they do know that this is what like your third successful kickstarter campaign that you guys have run or maybe fourth uh that was uh collectively our fourth and then i did oh no Collectively, our third, and then I did Aurora after independently, which ah. was my fourth. Okay, so you've done yeah. four successful Kickstarters, and a lot of people can't say that, right? I mean, I can't even say that. Uh, so yeah, and I fulfill them all before I make the next one. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's also yeah. that's also important. So a lot of well, people I've heard probably you're doing it wrong based on the, what the other people are doing. Then I don't <laughs> mean that to sound speaking. to sound super shady, but that is something that's very important to me and something I'm very proud of. So so I'm sure you get a lot of people coming up to you going, "Oh, I've got all these Kickstarter questions, all these Kickstarter questions." Listen, if you guys have questions about Kickstarters and how to fund Kickstarters, Ashley is actually doing a panel in a couple of weeks. Uh, about that so uh the week after the much discussed new york comic-con is la comic-con and uh we have three panels approved there and one of them is uh kickstarter secrets how to fund a successful kickstarter with myself jason and and charlie stickney who does white ash on kickstarter and truly puts our success to shame he's like the master we're also doing a geek history lesson live Flash versus Arrow debating the merits of the two television shows. Who will win? We'll both win because actually everybody on the panel loves both shows. And then we are doing 
uh, a writing panel uh, about science, specifically science. talking about how to write sci-fi fiction based in real science, because that's something that we did in this book. Awesome. Please, that is, please come see us. <laughs> no, no, I think you. I think people will come out uh, for that. Uh, and again, if you're looking for some great Kickstarter advice, uh, I saw the description of the panel. I think on your Instagram or Twitter feed uh, earlier today. Probably both. <laughs> probably both. So, and it's just like, oh, this makes perfect sense for someone that has done so many successful Kickstarters. So, go check that out over at the Los Angeles uh, Comic Con coming up. When is it? The October 11th? It's the weekend of October 11th to the 13th. Yeah. All of our panels are all in a row on the 13th <laughs> nice. because they had a big scheduling snafu this year. <laughs> Great. All right. Thank you for that, Ashley. Now, let's get to some reviews. And Thank let's you. see. We've got, oh boy, uh, Matthew, let's talk Action Comics 1015 out last week from DC Comics. Action Comics 1015. It was going to be at 1030, but they decided it was going to be rushed a little bit. Um, it's a Year of the Villain crossover, sort of. And it's apparently taking place seconds after the last issue of the Wonder Comics Naomi series. And you ask me, why do I say that? And I tell you, because it opens literally with Naomi flying into Metropolis. Uh, written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Zyman Kudransky. And I really love, and I've said this before, I love when Bendis writes his own creations. I love when he can put words in the voice of a character that he created because that means that he's not changing someone else's character into something that he really, really likes. I'm not saying his Doctor Strange is terrible. I'm just saying it's not Doctor Strange. So as this issue opens, Naomi, who has massive superpowers and comes from an alternate Earth and was rocketed to Earth from her home planet to protect her by her parents who were then murdered. This all sounds a little familiar. Lands in Metropolis, blows some stuff up, doesn't know how to control her powers. And a perfect, wonderful Superman moment occurs. She's standing in the wreckage outside of the Daily Planet, and a pair of red boots sort of fly into her frame of reference. And Superman just sort of crosses his arms and says, can I help you? And she starts, you know, babbling and explaining, Bendis explaining what's going on. All these terrible things are happening. My name is Naomi and I need your help. And he's like, well, let's get you some help then. But before they go at super speed, he fixes all the damage that she made on her impact. And then Superman and Naomi fly off to the Hall of Justice to do a little bit of figuring out how her powers work. And the charm of this issue is the interactions between the two of them where he's like, Oh, you're adopted. So am I. And she's like, yeah, somebody killed my real parents. He's like, yeah, that happened to me too. And then she's, you know, trying to explain to him how her powers work and he's trying to figure it out. All of a sudden this voice from the shadows is like, and what about this? And of course she freaks out and Batman is standing there going, well, she has to focus to control her powers. I'm Batman. And it's the most wonderful, charming Batman I've ever seen. I'm so mad because I wanted to come into this issue and I wanted to see something. And I'm like, well, I've been kind of annoyed with some of Action Comics so far. And there are things in here that I have not been 100% on board with, vis-a-vis you know, -vis Leviathan and the evil criminal organizations. And this issue is really wonderful. It's a lot of character interactions with Superman trying to figure out Naomi, Batman is there, and Superman is trying to make sure that Batman 
has his thing. There's a moment where Batman is examining her and he's like, my parents were murdered too. And she's like, does it ever go away? Silence. No, but it's a really sweet moment. It's, it's strangely touching for Batman and I really kind of love it. And then of course the year of the villain crossover kicks in and a villain shows up and smashes Superman's face into the dirt. And I'm not saying it ruins all of that first two thirds of the book because it really doesn't. It's a good comic, but it definitely, you know, makes me mad because now I have to come back next issue and I'm probably reading action comics. Now you guys, it's so, a pretty good series. I've liked it so far. Don't you hate for, that? Yeah, I do. I hate it when you like something so much that you're like, well, I'm reading this now, I guess, but action comics, 10, 15, four slices of meatloaf, really well drawn. Really beautiful effects. Uh, Naomi glows. I don't know if you've seen her in her own series, but her power effects are like these weird, crazy light up things that you kind of usually only see in an Alex Ross comic, but here they work and they're really, really well done. And I, you know, I'll say it, Bendis nailed it. Bendis gave me a really, really charming old school Superman and a really cool, obnoxious hanging out in the shadows, but still human Batman. And as far as I'm concerned, Naomi McDuffie can be Superman's new mentor or mentee forever, and they can go off and have adventures, and I'm fine. All right. Thank you for that, Matthew. Uh, out this week from DC Comics, it's Legions of Superheroes, Millennium Number 2. Now, this was somewhat controversial when it first came out because uh, we were expecting to see lots of Legion of Superheroes characters, and they were surprisingly <laughs> absent from the entire book. And Matthew and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the Dueling Review podcast. Well, um, I will let you know that the Legion of Superheroes do appear in this issue, but we have to go. We have to go to far space and back in order to get there, because once again, we follow uh, Rose of Rose and Thorn, or sometimes it's Thorn of Rose and Thorn, as she travels through the entire history of the DC universe's future. And we've seen things like OMAC, and we've seen things like um, the um, the uh, Commandy, the last boy on Earth, and and the Batman Beyond. And we've always wondered, how do these things fit into the future? And if you haven't listened to a Geek History Lesson uh, this week, they have a really interesting discussion on the three Jokers uh, and yes. uh, the idea, and especially Grant Morrison's idea, that uh, everything is in continuity. And here, Brian Michael Bendis is saying, yes, even the future of DC Universe is in continuity, and here's how everything plays out, and here's how Rose of Rose and Thorn, who is essentially immortal, how she is dealing with that, and how she is just stepping into moments of DC history. She's uh, the the part that made me giggle the hardest in this entire issue was when Booster Gold uh, appears as the janitor dude or as the uh, custodian dude at the uh, the Hall of Heroes, and he bumps into her, and he's like, "Oh my God, you've got this crazy 20th century." Uh, Depth of knowledge. I really love the 20th century. And he's like, you know, you and I could go back in time and steal one of Rip, uh, Rip Hunter's uh, time spheres. We could go back in time and be heroes. And Rose is like, yes, right. Heroes. And then the final panel is him looking at the time sphere and just that hmm look on his face is really, really cool. <laughs> and then he talks a little bit. She talks a little bit with the Omax. And finally, she goes out to the Vega system and back and she meets all sorts of aliens. And she comes back and she finally meets the Legion of Superheroes. The moment that they bring Jonathan Kent from what was it? Uh, was it Superman or Action Comics? I forget which one. Um, I think Action. Action 1014. Yeah, yeah. Actually, actually 1014. 
the minute that they bring him back from to the future from Action Comics 1014, Rose is there and they're like, do we know you? And she's like, no, but I've got a lot of stuff to tell you so that you guys know how to do your jobs right. And that's where the issue ends. And it's really solid and it's really good. And the art is really good. It's it's a slew of artists on this. Uh, So there's probably something in there that you're going to like about that. And I like how it brings it back around to where I don't know what part Rose is going to play in the Legion of Superheroes storyline. But the way that Legion of Superheroes Millennium ends, it kind of feels like we've told you everything we need to tell you about the future of the DCU. Now we're into a new future you don't know anything about. And the key to the past and the key to understanding where the Legion is going lies with this person uh, that has that's immortal and also has a split personality. And um, I'm very interested to see where this goes and to see where the Legion goes next. And I was very surprised. I was I went into this wanting to hate it, uh, but I ended up coming out the other side going, this is really, really great. This is a really, really good book. Uh, Jimmy, I, you know, I, I teased it out earlier this week. I said, hey, I'm going to be talking about Legion of Superheroes Millennium number two. It's a great book from Bendis. And I, you know, triggered him or uh, tagged him. And then Jimmy Dunn was like, oh, does this one finally have the Legion of Superheroes in it? And Bendis responded. He's like, yes, yes, they are in this one. So, you know, there's people are excited about this book as they should be. Um, I just I really like the writing on this. I really like the arc that that Rose and Thorne both have to go through in this. Um, it does fortunately or unfortunately make you feel sympathetic about a potential villain, um, in this, in this story. I mean, you know, from, from the Rose and Thorn aspect of here's somebody that had to live and watch everyone and everything die and be reborn again. Um, but I really, I really enjoyed it and I think you will too. And if you read the first issue, definitely pick up the second issue so you know what's going on. And that I think is a great teeing up the ball for, for Legion of Superheroes, which is coming out next month, I think, right? Or later this so, month. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. I'm giving that four and a half slices of meatloaf out of five. Really, really, really a good book. Let's jump ahead a, uh, a week to uh, to see what a brave new world, a bra- I'm not, sorry, a wave blue world is bringing to our plate. Now, here's a company that's changed its name several, several times. I'm pretty sure this is Blue Wave from way back in the day that we're doing some of those. Uh, blue Water. Yeah, the Blue Water and Blue Wave, and now it's a, a wave blue world. Uh, I'm pretty sure are this you, is the same company that used to do those not so great biography comics. Yeah, are you tired of companies that have single word names like Image or Marvel? Here's a Wave Blue World, which you know it's all good. Um, so yeah, uh, Dead Legends number one is a um, is like a fighting tournament story, um, and uh, it's. God, it's it's really interesting to me uh, because uh, within like we, we don't even get to the tournament within the within the span of this, but uh, we do meet a handful of characters that are clearly going to be involved, um, and our uh, protagonist character, I believe, because um, you know these when you look get into like fighting tournament kind of things, they tend to be kind of like ensemble things, but there's there's kind of a main character um goes from uh, or or a character another character introduces her and then it turns out that that's not actually who she is so all of that introduction then gets like tacked onto like a different character when that character actually shows up uh, so it's like i don't know it's like interesting i wasn't really expecting for 
uh, our main character to be like, oh, for them to be like, this character is a total badass. You have to let them into the into the tournament. And for the main character to be like, yep, that's me. And it's like, turns out that it's not. And then that actual character shows up uh, spoiling for a fight. So it's it's got some interesting stuff. You find out in a flashback why our main character is is there to begin with. Um, and, uh, it just like, kind of gets, kind of gets things going. I, I, I found it pretty entertaining. I like the art. The character design is okay. Uh, it's clearly meant to be, to be retro, to be kind of a callback to stuff like Bloodsport or, um, uh, Enter the Dragon, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, media that has kind of fallen by the wayside nowadays, you know, outside of anime. Uh, So it kind of has that aesthetic and brings with it uh, good things and bad things about that. Because, you know, if you like that sort of thing, uh, or if you've uh, watched those sorts of of movies or read that, that sort of media before, there's, there's kind of good things and bad things about that general style and about that time the time period in which these sort of things were popular um so there's you kind of have to deal with a lot of that and hopefully this story will sort of address some of those issues and and it kind of already is in in giving us a, a main character that is you know not not the greatest student of a master, but but someone else, and I don't want to spoil it too much. So I'm going to give it three slices of meatloaf, an enjoyable read, but uh, we don't get very far. It's like it's all exposition, mm-hmm. um, and so, uh, but I, but I'm very curious to 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 read the next issue. All right, does it? I mean, if if this is the same company, I'm pretty sure it is. Better writing, better art than than what we've seen before. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, Gavin Smith is the artist on this and the the artist perfectly fine um i don't uh i i don't i'm not familiar with his work from other places but you know my usual guideline for comics which might be like an absolute a bottom bottom of the like just you have to meet this in order for me to like appreciate your art is do characters who are similar look different, right? It's like, if there mm-hmm. are two 20-year-old women on the panel, do they actually look like two different people, especially if you put your thumb over their hair? Yeah, um, yeah. And that seems to be the case here, right? It's like, there are, like, the character designs are actually really interesting. Um, it gives a real kind of Mortal Kombat vibe. Again, it kind of gives a real like I, I just kept thinking about Bloodsport mm. uh, the whole time. Um, so I'm I'm interested in it, and I think the the art's pretty good. The writing's pretty good. Uh, I you know this isn't you know female force Hillary Clinton. This is this is a, a, a straight up fiction comic book. All right. Very cool. All right. Thank you for that, Rodrigo. Also, I believe coming out next week, oh, Halloween is upon us, Ashley. Ooh, blah, blah. And uh, Archie always does something fun for the Halloweens. 
do. Archie is a company that I love. I've reviewed a lot of their uh, post-Mark Wade 2013, 2014 uh, reboot stuff, but I've never gone back um, and talked about any of the OG style that I think many of us associate with Dan Parent, who is on art duties for mm-hmm. this. They have a Halloween special, number one. It's only $2.99. It is freaking perfect and adorable. I can't recommend it enough. Um, and if you are a person of means, I would recommend handing these out to kids for Halloween or encouraging uh, readers to check this out during the holiday season. It's so special. It is a series of adventures in and around Riverdale with the classic characters in the classic style, ranging from actually kind of spooky to really, really silly. You know there's a story where Archie's got to split his time between Betty and Veronica and hijinks ensue. I have read their Halloween specials every year of my life that I've been able to read, so about five, and it never disappoints. I think... I think when Archie does this and when Archie does things that are throwbacky and are celebratory of where they came from, I think when they can still hint and be funny or relevant or charming or thoughtful, I think that is very, very special. It's tough in the comics medium to be able to do something that is reverential to a bygone time but still works. And this is great. It is, I think, the epitome of the internet word spoopy. It is kind of spooky and mostly cute and fun. And it will remind you that not all comics in this world have to be, as Matthews likes to say, I'm going to armor my head. Why that is important and why that is so wonderful. I read it very quickly. I loved every second of it. And I think the $2.99 price point is really, really perfect. So check out this and every Archie Halloween special. There you go. All right. Thank you for that, Ashley. And Rodrigo, quick correction on yours. A uh, a Wave Blue World is not Blue Wave. Uh, Blue Wave uh, or Blue Water turned into Tidal Wave Productions, and which is now, I guess, maybe Storm or Stormfront or whatever. So they're not the same company. So sorry if I was besmirching this company. And it's like, yes, they're just just doing their thing. And they're like, hey, a similar sounding name. Right, right. So I don't don't want to correct myself and apologize. That's what it was. You know, they came in and they're like, we're going to call ourselves Blue Wave. And they're like, "Uh, people are going to think that you're Blue Water. And they're probably like, oh, yeah, well, then we'll call ourselves uh, the bluest electro blue wave world of comics LLC. Yeah, no. So my 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 apologies for uh, conflating the two, but man, those names do make you think of one another. But uh, there you go. Yeah. It happens. Be conflated. It does. It does. Uh, let's see what else is going on. Oh, listeners, we have a website. Did you know we have a website? We do. It's called majorspoilers.com, and that's where you can go and check out all sorts of other reviews, all sorts of other news, and with the. Uh, upcoming New York Comic Con coming up. We're going to have a bunch of stuff. Some of that's already up there on the site. And I'm just looking at my my email right now, and it's littered. There's like 15 or 20 different stories that I need to get up uh, that are spinning out of the New York Comic Con. Also, be on the lookout for the next installment of Did You Hear, where I'm sure Ashley is going to be talking about Birds of Prey and going to be talking about uh, Stranger Things Season 4 getting renewed and all that funny, cool stuff. It's all over there at Majorspoilers.com. Uh, this week, we're diving back into the world of Spider-Man once more. I, I remember last week when I said we were going to do one thing and then we had to divert and go back to Spider-Man. And now we're back to Spider-Man again because, you know, Spider-Man. I kind of really dig yeah. Spider-Man. Uh, and this time we're taking a look at 
Uh, I don't know how to describe this. I'm not a big fan of the 2099 world, but apparently a lot of people are. And so this week we are taking a look at the first volume of Spider-Man 2099 from the year 1992, right? Two. Is that when the, the first appearance of, of Spider-Man 2099 came about? Yep, they rolled it out as part of the 2099 initiative. There were four 2099 books, and this was basically the good one. Yeah, basically, <laughs> let's jump forward a century into the future where things have completely changed into a weird, uh, not I don't want to say dystopian because it's really not dystopian, but it is certainly eh, capitalistic. It's cyberpunk. Which is feeling- more and more timely by the day. Oh, no, that's yeah. one thing that that I will, uh, I, I'm not a big fan of Peter David, but I will give him some credit that as I was reading through this, and we talk about corporate ownership of, of you know, your lives, your personal data uh, being put into servitude, you know, if you have late bills or you have criminal records, how you can be uh, sold off to these corporations to do experiments on you, you know, the privatization of of the, uh, the penal system. Uh, so many things that really jumped out at me as like, oh man, we're not not even at 2099. We're 80 years away. And a lot of the things that are happening in this book feel very relevant to what's going on right now. So I I will say that about the book. Uh, And I think that from my point of view, the best part of Spider-Man 2099, the first volume of this is kind of looking at how close are we to this timeline now? Uh, How close are we to you know, super spies working for corporations going in and, and decimating the corporations from the inside. I, I, that's the part that I found the most fascinating. Looking at the backgrounds is really fascinating. Um, I mean, Matthew, this, is, this is definitely dystopian. I think that you could call this a dystopian cyberpunky thing. It's definitely yeah, cyberpunk. Yeah, yeah well, this a is dystopia. being half, half a decade behind the rest of the world. Yeah, a dystopia doesn't have to be post-apocalyptic. Like a no, dystopia no, no, no. is just like a a, a time or, or a moment where like where things when things are a good a, a good way to tell it, what it, when when you see dystopian fiction is are things bad for white people? If the mm-hmm. if the question if the answer is yes, <laughs> then then you're probably reading a dystopia. Well, Miguel's not completely white. He does say he's half Mexican, which but is uh, see, surprisingly we, diverse for the time. Yeah, we do see that things are bad for white people, yes. even though for once our protagonist isn't, you know, in the American sense, white. Mm-hmm. Um, there's I had a lot of problems with this book. Uh, just, you know, let's just take the two female protagonists in this book. And can I ask what purpose does Dana serve in this in this first volume beyond nothing? Dana is a difficult character to wrap your brain around because the thing about Dana is Dana is an 80s style girlfriend character in a 90s comic, which requires a level of uh, grit and brutality and uh, framistatery, for lack of a better word. And then it's all tied together into this weird futuristic viewpoint. And it makes her feel even more retro than she should. I mean, in 92, Dana felt kind of like, you know, the the 60s Iris West or um, Carol Ferris kind of mooning after him endlessly girlfriend who has no other function other than mooning endlessly after the hero. Uh, I think eventually Dana dies so that Miguel can be very sad. 
Honestly, Lila's the best female character. Oh, and Lila's the hologram? Not even female. Yeah, the hologram. And she's, yeah, and she's mostly uh, a joke. She reminds me of that blue girl from Halo. <laughs> Cortana. Cortana? Sure. Oh, wait, you shouldn't say that if you're running Windows no right idea. now. Don't say don't that. If, you ha- if you're on a PC, don't say that, because then she'll come she'll... to life and try to yes. schedule you for I a dentist appointment. <laughs> don't say the C word. They know where you live. Uh, okay, so one thing that I had forgotten, this is the first time that I'd read Spider-Man in, what, what's it been, 30 years or whatever since uh, 1992? Um, 27. Yeah. The one thing that I forgot was all about Alchemax, right? Yeah. The uh, the the mega corporation is, that runs everything the way, in this story slapped all over Spider Verse, the movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Alchemax That's what I all over. Yes, that is the amazing thing because I was like reading this and I was like Alchemax, and I was like, oh crap, that is the name of the company that we see in the Spider Verse. And then I had the big head smack of, of course, you got to bring Spider Man twenty ninety nine in at the end of the movie. Because that's where Alchemax essentially first appears, right, Matthew? Is in is in Spider Man twenty ninety nine, or is it before that? Alchemax starts in the twenty ninety nine series, uh, all mm-hmm. four of them. Uh, Alchemax has been part of the mainstream six one six universe for about the past ten years. Too. Uh, okay, okay, but I was just when I watched that, and you're like, okay, well, yes, we could tie a Spider Man twenty ninety nine into this because he's from another universe. But when you put in the Alchemax thing, then it makes kind of sense that that ending. Is mm-hmm. kind of set up in the in the form of Alchemax. Also, Spider Man twenty ninety nine in the amazing uh, Spider Verse movie, the the greatest uh, Spider Man movie of all time. Uh, <laughs> you can at me, but you're going to be wrong. Um, it's funny that it's not <laughs> that they could, they couldn't get the rights in the movie to use Marilyn Monroe uh, for the for the VR uh, character. Oh, sure, yeah, but here it's all over the place. Which was a weird thing in the in the late eighties, early nineties, the fetishization of Marilyn Monroe in I maintain it's in so like weird. In the, yeah, in the in kind of a futuristic uh, story, you know, any kind of VR character or whatever. Marilyn Monroe was used quite a bit in that sense. Oh yeah. And I think that it's important that this was about the time that the discussions of is it ethical to use Fred Astaire's likeness even though he's dead in a Coca-Cola commercial. Mm-hmm. I think it was a Hoover vacuum, vacuum cleaner commercial. Yeah, either way, it was something where they were getting to a very cyberpunky thing of, do you still exist after you're dead? And if so, who owns you? Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like using the Maryland. Well, Star is, Wars is opening that door right back up again. Oh, sure. yeah. Everybody owns everybody. We're all owned by six corporations. I was actually optioned for a comic book series this afternoon. But I don't know that that part was so successful i mean the the, hologram part no the the using marilyn monroe and some of the things that are kind of designed to poke holes in what was then you know modern pop culture and modern cultural things i think that spider-man 2099 wants to do that thing that cyberpunk does that takes the the world and the anxieties that we have about the world and then takes them to the future and highlights them right Mm -hmm. the problem is that it tries to do it in a cyberpunk framework and cyberpunk is the future of the late 70s basically Mm. (laughs) through the 80s yeah late 70s yeah and it yeah and like explodes in the 80s and it's like it has and and that's why you get things that even in the 90s already ring falls like the the stark 
start Fujikawa stuff. It's like, oh, the Japanese are coming for your economy yeah. kind of stuff. And it's like, even by the 90s, that already kind of feels like it didn't happen. Well, yeah, because you know? it, in, in the way real history played out, uh, the Japanese economy took a huge dump in the in the early 90s. Yeah. And so you didn't have... Um, and- them exerting the power that they that created the fear that is embedded in cyberpunk uh, of of Japanese basically taking over the world. Yeah. So so many things about Spider-Man 2099 feels like they're going through the cyberpunk motions. It's like to have a cyberpunk world, you need like the Japanese takeover of American consumer culture. You need um, these like super duper companies, which I think in the 90s it's that still rang true um, because. But but actually, maybe it didn't. Maybe in the nine, it feels good now, but it didn't feel good in the nineties because the economy was really good in the nineties. You know, I was like, I don't think people felt oppressed by hyper companies in the nineties, um, but they did in the eighties, and so that stuff is carried through. And then on top of that, you have to fit the vulture in somewhere. <laughs> this this book has elements that very much remind me of things like RoboCop for one. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Stories that were very futuristic chunks of, you know, the 80s. Things that were about that that anxiety, you know. It, it doesn't have like so many of these stories to a fear of the Sov Empire because by 92 that was no longer something that we necessarily had in play, but I think it's kind of telling that you know, issue three has a literal samurai show up mm. and be, you know, very much a traditional uh, comic book portrayal. Yeah, traditional thereof. comic samurai, yeah. Right. <laughs> a traditional comic book samurai only with tech swords, you guys. And that's something that I was bothered by when this book came out. And I think now the way to articulate it is that it's kind of that same Tone expectation. Deaf. Well, it is tone deaf, but it's tone deaf in a different way in that, you know, we have a main character named Miguel O'Hara, specifically Mm -hmm. designed to talk about, in the future, the things that we think of as our culture is going to be blended in, and that's a good thing. And then you have this character who's very much purely of a particular culture who is bad and bad and bad, you guys. And it never felt like it worked for me until I started realizing that this story doesn't know whether or not it's good that you have a primary character who comes from, you know, uh, two blended cultures. I'm, the story yeah. is back and forth on the question of whether this future, you know, this future, and, you know, we can use the D word if you talk about representation and diversity, whether or not this future is good throughout the 2099 line is never entirely consistent sometimes it's a terrible thing and other times you're like yeah it's great so i don't i don't think they had a solid one of the one of the big annoying parts of this book for me uh was how they took miguel's name and kept short shortening it is it is it it miggy is it midgy and and question for rodrigo would you actually shorten miguel to that because i don't think you would uh no Uh, so in in Spanish and and definitely in Mexico, there are specific um, short like there are specific pet names for a lot of names. So if your name's mm-hmm. Jose, it gets changed to Pepe, even though it's exactly the same length. <laughs> um, like the important thing in Spanish is not to shorten a name; is to show affection. So um, 
if you know someone named Miguel, you actually extend their name to Miguelito. Mm. If you want to show favorite. affection. That's my favorite. That's my the, the Ito and Ita. I think it's so cute. Yeah. Um, it's actually very common in, uh, in, in Mexico. So if there's a Miguel and they're amenable to it, to call them Mickey. Because it's, oh. you know, like everybody knows Mickey Mouse. Nobody really right. hates Mickey Mouse. So it's like, you know, calling them Mickey. But no, Mig is like, it doesn't feel good in Spanish. Migi doesn't feel good. Um, just because of that G. It like it has to exist in a very specific place and it has to have a U after it. So, mm. it, uh, I mean, I, I'm all for it. I'm all for the fact that, like, this is a different world. And uh, his brother, specifically, he, Miguel shortens his name to Gabri, which is not the way that, not, not necessarily a common thing, but you don't have a good shortening of Gabriel in Spanish. So that's an okay way to shorten someone. And you can tell Miguel calls him Gabri, but uh, like both girlfriends call him Gabe, mm-hmm. which is, you know, presumably the English American way to shorten it. Right. So it's, I mean, I'm okay with all of this, like, because also everybody calls Miguel something different. They call him Mike, they call right. him Mig, they call him Miggy. So it's like the fact that every character has kind of a different way to shorten his name. I'm, I'm okay with like, I, I was very aware of the, like the name shortenings in this. Um, and Generally, I like it because it feels more familiar than traditional. I, I, so, I can see where you're coming from that, but I found it super annoying. What were you going to say? Oh, actually? sure. <laughs> I'm going to say I think I'm going to be the person who uh, liked his book the most. And um, I said this on the pre-show. I love me some 90s comics. And in the mm-hmm. last year, I have read all of the 90s Ray series Oh, yeah. And also for the show, I read all of the OG static series. And those mm-hmm. series are way more problematic racially, um, oh, sure. from an LGBT standpoint, and, and even from a feminist standpoint, than uh, Spidey 2099 is. I think comparatively, it actually holds up pretty well, which, which is to say nothing for, for anyone's preference um, or taste, but like, no one's getting called the F word and none of the girls are getting slapped for being too stupid. So I was like, okay, this is, we're doing okay. So far. <laughs> True. Except and, that and the I, first time I, you meet Dana, she does have a black eye because Miguel punched her at, because well, he, he was in a drug fueled rage. He, he doesn't punch her fully in control. Yeah. Right, right, so, right, right. That's, that's why I feel like this book is just like from top to bottom going through the like eighties cyberpunk. Oh, emotions. emotions. Yeah. yeah. Sure. It's like, it doesn't, it's like you literally have to have a battered girlfriend and a junkie protagonist, but it he accidentally. To be fair, also the plot forced, of Rent. He's forced to become a junkie, <laughs> and he accidentally batters his girlfriend. Like yep. everything is just like so watered down, and that's not a bad thing. It's just like I I feel like this is secretly not a cyberpunk well, comic. Well, it's I mean, not. It, so it, it I just funny. really looks like one. It tries very hard to look. Yeah, like no, one. no. So I just finished uh, Gabriel's uh, weird goggles that he super cool doesn't, outfit doesn't pair with a, a top hat, which is really just disappointing. Yeah, no. I just finished reading Neuromancer again uh, after I don't know thirty years was probably the last time I read it, and I can see that there are a lot of things that are in twenty ninety nine that are in you know the 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 og cyberpunk stuff mm-hmm. and 
And it's just, I don't know. I, I didn't hate this book. Don't get me wrong. I didn't hate this book. Yeah, I just yeah. didn't, I just didn't like it a whole lot. Uh, <laughs> and I know, actually, I think you said in pre-show that you really liked the, the nineties art. I do. I love the art in this. Is, there are panels. I it was great. Um, it, it's messy and it has all the it flaws of nineties art. Um, but it, there's yeah. just something about a nine about nineties art that like sings to my soul. Uh, where with very few exceptions, I'm like, this is great. It's like a hug. Like, oh I yeah, yeah. Really now like I, I think this is where we are seeing, <laughs> we are seeing some um McFarlane influence For in sure. Spider-Man 2099, where you have you know Miguel jumping through the the upper atmosphere between buildings, uh, you know, with his with his body bent in half and his legs, you know, outstretched and everything, a very McFarlane uh, type pose. But there is literally one panel where I'm looking at going, I can't tell his body is going. Why is his arm going this way and his leg is yeah, going that way? Yeah, and yeah. a body just doesn't do that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of that when you're looking at Spider-Man doing his. And there are many fight scenes in this book, but many of the yeah. fight scenes just are like, that's not how bodies move. Even if you are full of spider DNA uh, as you try to, you know, it. it Okay, here's one nice thing I'll I'll say about this. I really liked Miguel's way of figuring out how he was going to get um, the drugs out of his system, right? So in this This book, the the head of Alchemax is like, ah, the way that I can get you to work for me forever is to force you to take this drug that you will now be dependent on. And our company is the only one that makes this drug. And that goes back to Rodrigo's uh, drug addicted uh, um, protagonist. But Mm -hmm. Miguel is like, oh, I'll just use this. Uh, you know, this transporter device, this uh, fly device to take a sample of my old DNA pre drugs being induced into my system and then just recombine it with my current body and I'll be back to new. It was really a brilliant uh, plot until, you know, corporate rivalry got in the way and he turned into Spider-Man. But still, I I like that part of the story. I I thought that was really ingenious. And I got to say that I feel bad for writers in the 90s because nothing was allowed to just um, like enjoy itself as a reference or just to, mm-hmm. to be. So somebody has to point out in within the context of the comic that it looks like the pod from the fly. Right. You know, it's like just just let that be a reference. It's like mm-hmm. this Spider-Man like turns into a Spider-Man through the fly like that can just be a reference. You don't have to lampshade it and, and be less edgy or, or be more edgy because you're like, eh, how stupid is it that we're doing this? We're aware. Actually, this particular writer does not believe or in any way uh, observe the adage that you don't explain the joke. Yeah, that's true. And coming from me, <laughs> I mean, that that should be something that is at least noteworthy because even I at certain times in this are like, just let it stand. Just to stop doubling down on the joke and let it be. But art-wise, I love six of the seven issues here. I love Leonardi's work for some reason. And I don't I don't know what it is because it's not the kind of aesthetic that I'm totally into, but it's so fully realized in and of itself. And the best part is Leonardi draws like this regardless. It looks really great in a futuristic weirdo world. Yeah. But if you get him in a modern series, same thing. Yeah. It's really kind of, you know, weird and and off-putting and wonderful, and it feels alien and futuristic, and it puts this this future society 
on really good footing as feeling like something a hundred years from now out of date, you know, as crazy weird, wild future as suddenly captain Kirk has everybody in go-go boots and miniskirts and everything's pink and blue and red. This Spider-Man 2099 look is amazing. And then we get to the Kelly Jones issue. I I told you how much I love Kelly Jones artwork, Matthew. You have. You've repeatedly told me that Kelly Jones is a genius and doesn't make you want to vomit up your own yeah. guts. Oh, but man. I, I almost had to stop the, reading Batman the, when he was on when he was doing Batman. Spidey yeah. I've ever seen. We know Spidey's live. Any Spidey. All yeah. Spideys. Spideys are, are, are all angular and flibberty-diverty. But I think the point that the Kelly Jones issue makes is that it is literally impossible for anyone using standard comic book art to draw a fat person. <laughs> and I think that that is the, the takeaway from Kelly Jones' issue is, first of all, Spider-Man, I'm counting 35 lats on this man in that the, uh, first just shot. Just the best. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you, but you also have to admit, it feels futuristic and weird and alienating. So... So yeah, especially yeah, I'll, say, I'll say this. I'll say this for the the Kelly Jones uh, issue. Uh, it has faces. Like, True. There's mm. just something about uh, what's the other guy? Leonardi. Leonardi. Yeah. Uh, about Leonardi's art, where it's like even when you're in a close up, I feel like I can't see this guy's face. There's always <laughs> like weird light and like things are obscured. And it's like, I just felt like there weren't enough close-ups in general. You end up like 10 feet away from the characters at all times so that you can see them like jumping around or having an argument in this futuristic city, which is fine. It's fine to have that. But I'm like, at least here, even though the faces are like significantly more cartoony than I would hope, you get close-ups and you get to like look into the character's eyes, which I, I don't know, maybe it's just like a general feeling but I feel like uh, Leonardi really wasn't giving us. Yeah. Leonardi is not big on super detailed uh, faces. You get a lot of cartoony abstraction. And, you know, even though Miguel looks kind of like the swamp thing when he's sitting in the bath, you're right. You do get the strange expression where he's just like, hey, um, hi, you're my girlfriend. You should totally kiss me. And you can see in his face that, as the kids today say, Spider-Man 2099 is horny on Maine. Mm -hmm. And that's cool, except for the fact that, you know, Dana is a terrifying plant thing. I don't know. (laughs) You know, you could do worse if you're trying to maintain the feel of the book. For all the complaints that we may have about whether Kelly Jones' art is super attractive, you have to admit it is of a piece and tonally and you know visually similar enough to what Leonardi has done to where it's not a huge, oh my god, all of a sudden this issue is drawn by Ron Lim and I can't figure out who anybody is anymore. Actually, I would have compared Leonardi to Ron Lim a lot closer than, than the other way around, but... Well, yeah, Lim I, I, has, I think, a, a thicker ink line and a cleaning a cleaner yes, style. Yes, but I they still have the it. they still have the same face stuff that the you know the the, the cartoony elements that that Rodrigo was talking about. And uh, so listen, yes, so so listen. This is this volume, volume one, has a lot of fight scenes, like the stuff with the vulture and the stuff with the samurai guy. Uh, I think the that's specialist. literally his name is Samurai Guy. The um, specialists. Those two his fights. Name is this one, as if he were <laughs> an unsullied. 
He speaks exactly like the Unsullied and having uh-huh. just, you know, a, a lot of time living in the Game of Thrones world this year, it really threw me off. Yeah, there's a there's a long, proud tradition of uh, even just Marvel characters referring to themselves as this one. Very mm-hmm. true. So and there are two sure issues. Tied to some sort of <laughs> mysticism. Two, yeah, two full issues are that. taken up with just yeah, fight sequences. In this. So you're going to get a lot of fight sequences here. Uh, you also get cannibalism. You also mm-hmm. get, um, hey, wait a minute. Didn't you used to date my brother uh, storylines? Yeah. Um, yeah, and then they make out. And it's weird. It is. It is weird. I yeah. think the cannibalism stuff is an overt Soylent Green reference, if you ask me. But. Maybe, but I mean, uh, going back to what you said earlier, I think they would have actually called it out as in the writing. Uh, and, then the, and then there is also uh, a, a not really atonement with the father, but uh, the meeting of the mother. If you're following the uh, the hero's journey at the very end of this uh, book, but overall for me, if you're into Spider Man 2099, that's good. Um, my guess is you've already read this volume. If you're into Spider Man 2099, but if you saw this weird blue and red Spider Man at the end of the Spider Verse movie, and you're like, "What the heck was that?" Uh, then you might want to go and pick this book up. I'm not dismissing it outright. Uh, I don't, I, I've read better Spider-Man stories. Um, and, and for me, this is something to just borrow from a friend or check out from a library if a library has it, but this is not something that I would encourage you to buy. Although that being said, there is a link to Amazon in the show notes. If you want to pick this up, Matthew, final thoughts for you on Spider-Man 2099. I think it is important to note the influence of Spider-Man 99 or 2099 marked down from 2250. Uh, in that Earth 928, the 2099 universe, is almost entirely dormant and unused with the exception of Miguel O'Hara, who had his own solo series as recently as last year, if I'm not mistaken. Although, uh, technically, that's uh, the Miguel O'Hara of Earth TRN 588, which is a separate a spur of uh, time-space reality. Neither here nor there. Of the 2099 books... This is the only one that seems to have any real lasting legacy or effect. And I feel like 2099 was a huge deal for about a minute and a half in the early 90s. And having this book be the sole survivor at least speaks to its quality. It speaks to the fact that for all of its flaws, the longevity proves that they had something going for them. And even if you don't like Leonardi, even if you don't like this particular writer, even if you're like, man, future alternate cyber Spider-Man sounds dumb, this is not a terrible book. I would say you could read this, you can enjoy it, you can get to that Kelly Jones issue, you can scream along with us. I would Truly. say check it out. I don't know that I would necessarily uh, say go uh, rush right out into buying frenzy, but I also wouldn't say don't buy it, which is not necessarily something I say a lot when it comes to spider titles. So I don't know if Marvel has plans for more Spider-Man 2099, but they did send out a, I think it was Marvel that sent out a tweet earlier this week that said, Hey, Spider-Man 2099 took place 80 years from now. And I, I don't know if that's a hint that Spider-Man 2099 is coming back or if they're doing something with that. He's he's part of Spider-Geddon, but I haven't been ah, reading okay. Spider-Geddon because I read it the first time when it was called Spider-Verse. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, Rodrigo, final thoughts from you. Um, it's a lot of fun to see how much work Spider-Man 2099 did for us so we could get the uh, uh, so we could get Batman Beyond. 
Um, <laughs> and and then it's also great to see Marvel be like Batman Beyond. What do we have to compete with that and create Spider Man Unlimited, which was garbage in like the most incredible way. And I'm just like, why didn't you just do Spider Man 2099? It's already ready, you know. And it's like it's probably because it was too similar. But anyway. I like this art, if for no other reason, if you want to see what, like, like peak, busy 90s art was like by an artist who had, like, actual craft to it, I think you should pick up Spider-Man 2099 for, just for that reason. All right, Ashley, and I think you said that you like this probably the most of all of us. We're going to give you the final word this week. I did. I liked this a lot. I think if you like Spider-Man or you like Batman Beyond or you like Into the Spider-Verse, I think this is definitely worth at least checking out from the library or checking out through your um, Marvel. What's that app called? Unlimited. Marvel Unlimited. Just changed to a new, uh, more expensive billing system and is slowly shadow banning and shutting down everybody who bought the year long subscription two years ago. Thanks, Marvel. Yeah, I do think if you check it out and you like it, uh, you should invest in the trades because they was out of print for a long time and then they was back in print. Now they is going out of print again. And mm-hmm. I don't know if they will come back until after Miguel gets expanded in Spider-Verse in whatever capacity they inked Oscar Isaac for. And I I really think if you like 90s comics that this will hit you in the same way that it hit me. Um, and luckily, it doesn't have any of the uh, completely offensive things that 90s comics sometimes come with the trappings of. Uh, so yeah. I liked it. I think you'll like it, too. Yeah. So there is uh, our second Spider-Man from Into the Spider-Verse. We did Spider-Gwen not too long ago. Here's Spider-Man 2099. It was Into the Spider-Verse. We've got a couple more Spider-Peoples to look at uh, later this year, so stick with us. Uh, Next week, though... Spider-Ham for 2020, I think. Well, actually, I think there's a new Spider-Man Spider-Ham series coming out not too long from now. Uh, I think that's something that has just been announced. Uh, We should be closing in on episode 850, but for whatever reason, we are only at 847 right now. But next week... We're going to come in, we're going to do some general talk, some uh, random talk. So we're not going to have a specific comic book uh, trade that we're going to read next week. Uh, so if you've got questions, you've got uh, stuff that you want to ask us, podcast at Majorspoilers.com. We'll do some letter bag stuff right there. But until then, I think that is where we are going to wrap it up for this issue. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. As we say every week, we love your feedback. We want to hear from you. So use the comments section at Major Spoilers to share your thoughts and reactions to this episode. Or you can always email us at podcast.majorspoilers.com. And we w- don't forget, you can support this show and everything we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Majorspoilers. We will be back next week because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you.
podcast is copyright 2019 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners. Also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200.